Welcome to a special edition of the Sounder at Heart podcast. Uh, I'm Jeremiah O'Shan, and I'm joined by the one and only Brad Evans from location in Colorado. Uh, thanks for joining us, Brad. This is uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm uh, staring at some trees right now, uh, enjoying the weather outside, but uh, thanks for having me. So you are currently on, is this, is this an uh, all country trip? Is it just, are you just going through the Western States? Um, how would you describe this, this journey that you're currently on with your wife? Yeah. So, uh, basically nothing East of Colorado. Um, we, we wanted to explore places that, you know, I, I had been as a player, but not been able to really, you know, you get the opportunity to kind of go outside the hotel a little bit. But for the most part, you don't get much time to explore these places, especially when our off season is in the winter. You don't come to Colorado unless you want to snowboard, which was out of the question. Um, you don't really go to New Mexico. It's still too cold. Like all these places are cold in the wintertime when, when we had free time. So and Becky had never been to New Mexico, never been to Utah, Colorado, Wyoming. Mon- uh, she had been to Mon- Montana once. So that's kind of our, our designated route right now. We've had some changes to the plan as, as we're going, um, you kind of have to watch the weather, but, uh, yeah, as of right now, it looks like we'll be, uh, Colorado for the remainder of the month. And then we'll shoot up Wyoming, Montana, potentially Canada. Um, if weather holds, if not, then we'll kind of, uh, reroute and probably hit uh, Nevada, Idaho, California. That's kind so of the plan. You... At least. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the, for, for those of you who maybe don't know, uh, Brad and, and his wife Becky are traveling around the Western United States in an with towing an airstream. Is that that's yeah. right, right? Yeah. And right. you're documenting this on your Instagram and Twitter, basically. Yeah, mostly Instagram. So we kind of created this. Uh, it's it's not like a brand or anything, but kind of what a little change in the profile. My my profile before was kind of dedicated towards soccer and Kodo, pretty much our dog at the time. Um, he passed away, you know, almost a year and a half ago. So things kind of changed quickly. And we had this idea, my, my sister made this, um, logo. My other sister kind of came up with this name called pitch to pine. Um, and it's obviously self-referencing my journey from playing on the field and getting into getting into the trees and into the mountains. So that's kind of what we're, you know, going after. It's a really cool, sleek design. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's a fun thing. It's not like a business venture or, you know, anything serious, just kind of a, a small transition. Um, but yeah, full timing in our Airstream that we bought in California, um, to convince Becky to do this, I had to uh, give her free reigns to, you know, modify the inside to make it up to her standards. Uh, so that was a process in itself, but, um, basically we painted the whole thing white. We, um, had the countertops, sinks, faucets all changed. Um, and, uh, yeah, did some really cool decorating on the inside to get it away from the, the brown, airstream typical interior. Um, especially we knew that we wanted it to be full time and we needed it to be as bright and light as possible being in 23 feet of space all the time with each other. And so is this, was this a new airstream or was it used? Yeah, it, it was new. Um, I don't know. Well, we don't know anything about like fixing furnaces on the fly or, you know, <laughs> drainage issues and we wanted to just make sure that we were the only ones that had touched this thing um, and that everything kind of started off brand new under warranty and if we ran into any problems we we then wouldn't have any problems you know taking it to a place to have it fixed there's you know a few things that I've actually 
you know, had to YouTube and kind of were on the road, you know, and, and when you're not next to an airstream dealer, you kind of have to do what you do. So a lot of duct tape has been involved in certain situations, um, kind of manufacturing some small fixes, nothing, nothing too major. Um, you know, a couple drain issues from the fridge, but you know, nothing that I couldn't kind of figure out myself. So knock on wood, um, everything's still serviceable and, uh, running as well as, uh, it should. And so when you guys first did the renovations, was that stuff that you did yourself? It looked, if I remember correctly, there were some videos of you working on it. Yeah. Yeah. So we had, uh, Airstream in Orange County is where we bought it. And we had them, um, figure out somebody to do the countertops. We weren't comfortable, you know, we didn't have the tools, number one, and we didn't feel comfortable, like just buying a whole bunch of tools to make, you know, three or four cuts on a countertop and then not having anywhere to put those giant tools. Um, so we had them do that and it was actually a pretty simple process. We kind of, uh, found two slabs at this, two slabs of Corian at this tiny little place out in Anaheim, picked those up for like a hundred bucks. And then they did all the install, picked up the sinks and faucets on Amazon. And it was actually like a eight day thing. And then I actually, the, the biggest project was the solar. We knew that we wanted to be able to be off grid as much as possible. Um, you know, these, what you don't realize is, is your planning that goes into, these trips, it's, it's easy. Like van life is super easy because vans can pretty much go anywhere. Um, but when you're pulling 23 feet with a 19 foot truck, it becomes long and your accessibility to places becomes limited. And, you know, full timers who have experience, they book these spots like six to 12 months in advance. So we wanted to make sure that we had leeway. Um, so we put two th- or three 100 watt solar panels on top a 2000 watt inverter and two lithium ion batteries. And this thing is like, it's insane, dude, how much energy this, this thing has to store. I mean, we can run TV, Vitamix, Becky can do her hair straightener, all those things at one time. And uh, we don't go, go below like 90% battery usage. It's, it's pretty incredible. Actually. It's, it's rad. That is, that is very impressive. So yeah. you, you kind of alluded to this. What's the, what's the closest you've come to like, any sort of disaster or uh or like real like have you ever gotten a point where you're like god i don't know if we're gonna have a place to stay tonight yeah yeah we've gotten into a few hairy situations with places to stay but the thing is so you have i did so much research on this like i did probably three or four years of research just watching full-time uh air streamers on youtube and totally geeked out on this like dream so i felt like i came in super prepared so I knew how to like put the jacks down, um, you know, do everything on the Airstream before we even had it. And so this was really like an eye-opening experience for Becky, like teaching her how to do everything, which has been awesome. Like she learned so fast. Um, the the hairiest situation, we probably, we, we had two. So when you park this thing, you put these like metal, they call them chocks in between the tires, right? You crank it down with this wrench and there's like, there's a shit ton of tension. And we were pulling out of a camp spot and one of them was off and the other one was still on and I pulled forward and it went off the blocks and like totally wrenched this chalk and shot it off the tire. And if, you know, somebody was standing there, it could have been like the loss of a limb. That was uh, probably the second most intense thing. The, the, the first most intense, we were parked outside. Um, I think we were at Bryce or, or Canyonlands, one of, or no, Capitol Reef. And we were on some like BLM land, which is Bureau of Land Management. It's all free, which is awesome. But we kind of parked on this slope. And at this time, we only had one of those chocks now. So you can imagine like 5,000 pounds sitting on one chalk. 
and uh, more of a slope that I wanted to. And the airstream just kind of started to creep down a little bit when I had disconnected <laughs> from the truck. And luckily, like the front jack got stuck into the sand and it could have been like an absolute disaster. But crisis averted, like somebody was you know, watching over us, which so those were the two gnarly things. And we always use a checklist. But for some reason, like those two times we were in a hurry, we were flustered, like we got to get out of here. There's people waiting or it's super late at night. And so, uh, yeah, so now we like have, have it dialed in, um, and we're, we've been pretty good since. So those were probably the two gnarly things. So um, there must be obviously a lot of time outside of the Airstream. I'm guessing that's really the point of this whole endeavor. What are some yeah. of the things that you've done? What are some of the, what are some of the places that you've been on this trip? Oh my gosh. So we've hit, I think 11 or 12 national parks so far. Um, the, the journey actually started in Fayetteville, Arkansas, um, at my dad's house. We, uh, had the Airstream shipped out to Arkansas. He's got like tons of open space and tools. And we knew that we wanted to do some personal renovations ourselves. So when we got the Airstream in hand, it already had the solar on it, the countertops and all that stuff. So then the next process was taping the entire thing, taking an electric saw to remove some pieces that we didn't want uh painting the entire thing um and so we were very lucky to have those tools and, and be accessible there so it started in Fayetteville and then we dipped down into into Texas shot up um close to New Mexico and then through New Mexico Arizona Utah and now in Colorado for the past almost month now um the most epic thing that we're still blown away by is the Grand Canyon there's just like everywhere we've been I don't think anything is compared to the Grand Canyon. We had been once before, but we didn't hike. This time we did South Rim, um, almost all the way down and back up. And then we, the most memorable day was uh, this route called the North Kaibab, which is on the north side, which nobody ever goes to. There's only like 30 camping spots and it's really far out of the way. Um, it takes like four hours just to get from the south side to the north side, north rim of the Grand Canyon. So um, it was snowing up top as we started our hike and then we kind of we, we hiked down for about seven and a half, eight miles. And we saw these roaring springs, which, you know, the, the rainfall this year was insane. So literally water just shooting out the side of the Grand Canyon. It was so epic. And then hiking back up, it was just like the most picturesque, um, incredible uh, little adventure that we've taken. But yesterday we did our first hike above 14,000 feet. Um, we started at like, I think 11,000 and hiked up, um, about 3,300 feet, uh, right, right close to us here, uh, Quandary Peak, I think it's called. So that was pretty epic. The views were insane. Um, man, there's been, there's been so much stuff. It's, uh, it's been really cool. And so are you like, are, have you met very many people on this trip? Have you run into Sounders fans? Have you been <laughs> recognized? So that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I thought I'd see more Sounders fans with Sounders jerseys, but the only time I've encountered a Sounders fan was, uh, was actually on in the Grand Canyon. He had a Sounders hat. And I usually just say like, Oh, nice hat, dude. And then they kind of <laughs> like, what? And they don't even realize they're wearing the hat. And then I'll stop them and ask them, you know, who's their favorite player. And they still have no idea. Um, <laughs> and they'll, they'll say like, they'll say somebody other than myself. So I'm like, are you sure? And I'll just be, say something like, think, think really hard about this. And so eventually it gets to the point where I'm like, how about number three? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. And then <laughs> it goes from there. So. <laughs> but it's been, uh, yeah, not, not too many uh, 
not too many Sounders fans actually out and about. Have you, but um, are you running into like people that just are on this, like similar, like whether they're RVs or Airstreams or just kind of camping? Like, is there like a community that you have been able to tap into as far as that goes? You know, not really. I think Becky and I are a bit more on the, we did this to kind of get away um, mm-hmm. for the most part. And I think if we saw ourselves doing this like forever and we like worked out of our Airstream and we knew that there wasn't an end to this, maybe we'd join like a, like an Airstream club. I know that um, there's tons of like Facebook groups with young professionals that are full-timing and they meet up on, you know, random occasions, but that, that hasn't really been our vibe. It's more been get off the beaten path, take this, you know, four five, six months to kind of just, you know, experience the outdoors and then get back into, you know, daily life. So um, for us, it's been more about, um, you know, spending time together for the first time really uh, since we've been married and, uh, and then, you know, experience the outdoors. Was it a tough thing to talk Becky into doing this? Um, no, not really. I think we were in Kansas City and, and it was probably um, September when, you know, I kind of decided that, you know, it was going to be it. Um, you know, I actually felt really good um, throughout the end of that year and traveled with the team during the playoffs. Um, had some really good conversation with the coaches, and but ultimately came to the decision that uh, just wasn't worth it anymore. And so we were kind of like, well, we want to travel. We want to experience, you know, something different. Uh, we weren't ready just to move back to Seattle and, and start life again. You know, Becky would probably go back to work in her same position at the Bellevue Club, and it would just be kind of the same routine. Um, and so it's, there have been challenging times for sure. Uh, when it's just the two of you all the time, um, you know, she's missing the connection to friends where she didn't really have that in Kansas city where I, you know, obviously as a soccer player, you go in every day and you love what you do and you love the group of guys and you have that camaraderie It's easier for me to step away from a group than it was for her to, you know, step into even more, uh, of, I guess, isolation with me. Uh, which can be challenging at times, I'm sure. But we'll go to California, visit her, visit her family next week, uh, uh, potentially uh, for a couple days uh, and her friends, and um, you know, and then get back at it as we travel along. So, so how do you our- how do you grade yourself as a travel companion? Um. Oh my gosh. I mean, obviously, I would say I'm a good travel companion. <laughs> uh, I can be a bit uh, OCD about about the airstream. It's a massive investment, so I kind of I kind of freak out, you know, when any little thing goes wrong. But learning to, uh, you know, kind of uh, be this close to a person for for this long has been a learning process for me. Not that it's been bad or anything. It's been amazing. You know, uh, Becky and I got married when I was in. January camp and I only got three days the day before the wedding the day of the wedding and the day after to be together and then every off season you know we'll go on a trip but that's you know a month and then you have to start your workouts and so this is by far the most time we've ever had together um so you'd have to ask her that question are you, hey, ben, and are you, you read me out of a travel companion out of 10 she said um that's not a good start no not at all that's a very ah, good oh, 12 out of 10 Oh, that went Maybe the opposite direction than we were expecting. Yeah. Maybe she thought I said 100, not 10. So 12 out of 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay. So if you were going to do this trip with someone other than your wife, is there any former teammates that you would have wanted to do it with? 
former teammates that this would have been epic with. Um, you know, Mark Birch, uh, you know, Birch and I go way back to Columbus days and he has this like fascination with the outdoors and with Colorado, especially. So everything we do, he's already done. Um, and he, he kind of hikes at the same pace that I do. And that's, you know, Becky's a tiny bit slower on the hiking. So, um, having somebody that I can uh, maybe crush or run up a couple of mountains with would be cool. And he's super outdoorsy and, uh, you know, just loves being outside. Trying to coordinate a Pasito meetup as we go through Wyoming, Montana, which is going to be uh, epic. And I'll definitely document that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, dude, I mean, all the guys that I've played with or roomed with would be they're just all good dudes. Like I can't, I can't, I mean, I could tell you ones that I wouldn't want to be with. Well, that's um, good. Let's go there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> probably Dan- Daniel Shallowy from Kansas city would be the last person I'd want to do this with. <laughs> He's right. like the softest, like city boy you could, uh, you could ever imagine. Um, Freeberg maybe, although it kind of goes. Freeberg would be a bad me. companion. You're saying. Yeah, he would be a very he would be a terrible hiking companion. What do you mean? This guy's like the most miserable. He can't be in the sun for more than ninety minutes, <laughs> otherwise he just like withers away. Uh, he has no interest in being. Everything I post, he sends me direct messages like, "You're an idiot. What are you doing with your life?" That's all I get from him. So that's kind of yeah. He'd, he'd be a nightmare too, but it would be comical on the other end. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, one of the things Lickett actually wanted me to ask you is uh, he wanted me to pitch this show idea. He says, you take your Airstream back out for a long road trip with Eric, with Freeberg, and you visit uh-huh. taco trucks around the United States. What would you name this show, and how does he make sure he gets executive uh, producer credits on that? Oh, my gosh, dude. That would be incredible you know what that reminds me of that have you seen that uh like the osborns jack osborne did the did like a caravan show at all i I saw a couple episodes of yeah yeah i was familiar with and that that's kind of cool so it would be something similar to that but nobody would have any idea who we are which would make it more hilarious um there'd be a very small audience that would watch that i think but find it like incredible i have no idea what that would be called it's Um, screaming out for a youtube show i think I know. Dude, there's a lot of stuff that's screaming out for YouTube shows. The problem is, and we thought about YouTubing, but it takes so much time and energy to YouTube. Oh, yeah. It's literally like a camera in your face at all times because you can't yes. miss things that happen, but you really, you end up missing out on kind of what you're experiencing. Also, the lack of like internet and editing tools and capabilities, it was just like, it wasn't feasible for us. But cre- credit to those that do YouTube full time because it's kind of, it's it's gnarly, dude. I don't know. I don't know how they do it, but yeah, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where in your mind, it seems great. Like I'll get paid to have these experiences, but really what you end up doing mm-hmm. is you work. It's just work that happened. You, you get to experience these things, but you experience them in totally different ways. Yes. And you realize that in order to do it right, it has to be like a job. And all of a sudden yep. it takes like your experience out of the, like, the, the experience you're looking for. I don't think you would have gotten uh, from right. you if you'd done it as a YouTube did did Chad Marshall call you after you retired and said, where do I meet up? Yeah, Chad and I have been talking for a long time. He had been, you know, struggling with his. So we had the same exact uh, injury. I had mine in 2010. Um, during that World Cup break, I had torn my meniscus in the same exact way. And I was actually watching that game against Portland. And I knew exactly when it happened, what happened. I texted him like, oh, that's your meniscus sort of thing, you know. And 
I think, you know, I was really young when it happened to me. And I also had that, remember I missed 2010 with the patella tendonitis issue. Um, yeah. I missed like half the year. So I think that allowed my knee to heal properly. I had almost like seven months to kind of rehab that. And without knowing it, it probably healed uh, how it should normally. Chad was kind of thrust back into the situation where, you know, he's 34 years old. He, you know, tears his meniscus, same exact way, same mechanism, everything, same tear, same amount came out when they took out the meniscus and uh, just didn't have the time to recover. So we had been talking for a long time. And, uh, you know, I get texts all the time from Chad saying, you know, oh, man, I want your life. Oh, it looks amazing. I'll just send him pictures of breweries and beers and he's just like, <laughs> the face back while he's been like, driving across the country his wife is about to give you know birth to another baby and uh moving into a new house a new situation and uh you know leaving the sport how you didn't want to um i tried to get him out here but just he's got so much stuff going on right now that it's just not feasible but uh i'll send him photos of like tiny little layer streams and be like dude that's what you need just a weekend warrior and he's like yeah uh i have two kids so that's not gonna happen yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm guessing that you get a lot of uh, travel envy kind of messages from, I'm guessing, especially former teammates, because it's not that often, it seems, that a player gets out of the game in his mid-30s and doesn't have kids at that point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one thing that, uh, you know, appealed that we were able to do this, and we know that we're not going to have kids, so it was, uh, I guess for us, we didn't even think about it that way, um, like we had to do this now because we were going to have kids was just you know this is our life this is what we're going to do um, but that's definitely a, a bonus to a certain extent is that uh you know we don't have the dog we don't have the you know the kids to, to be with us um yeah but yeah, yeah i do get like a ton of texts um i think you'll see the next person to do it will be zeusy for sure zeus will buy zeus will buy something and travel around the u.s in his uh, camper when he's done playing if he ever stops playing he knows um he can be probably about the only other person I can think of right now that would uh, take off on a whim and, and travel around. I mean, it does seem like it's, it does in a lot of ways. I envy your, I'm sure most, a lot of people do envy the the level of freedom that you have in your situation, that you're, you're healthy, you're young, you're uh, unattached to, to kids and dogs and all those kinds of things. And you can just go take off. How long is this trip? How long do you expect this trip to, to really last? So first part of that um, question or statement was that that's probably the biggest thing we've gotten from people that we meet. I mean, we meet so many people at campgrounds and, and sites and, you know, national parks just hiking around. And ultimately the conversation strikes up of what are you doing? You know, how are you doing it sort of thing? And it's mostly you really see older, you know, people that yeah. are full timing, you know, that, that are retired and they're like, oh, we wish we would have done it when we were younger the ability to, you know, we, we see them at the top of the Grand Canyon and they're like, oh, we wish we would have done it sooner so we could go down in and, you know, do some cool hikes and, and things like that. And to be able to do it full time and not have any, um, you know, outside, I guess, things to worry about has been um, awesome. I don't know any other way, so I can't compare it to anything. But judging by what other people say, um, it's uh, it's a special moment for us. Um, second part of that, I think, will go um, until the fall. Um, you know, this isn't like a, a full-time forever thing for us. Uh, we don't want to do this when it's cold. We had a couple snowy days and it's just not, it's not conducive to what we like to do. Um, if you're going to do a full-time, you really got to be, 
you know, San Diego or, or Arizona for the winter times. And then, you know, you can mostly bounce in the summertime, but that's not what we're, what we're after. We still want to have roots and, and feel that community um, around us and have our friends. So, um, you know, we'll reevaluate after September, I think, and then figure out if we should uh, continue on into Canada. If an opportunity arises in the fall in Seattle, it's probably something we'd have to jump on. Um, but that's kind of the the plan right now. But we've always envisioned having this like in our backyard and, and hooked up with like a cool deck. Um, this guy reached out to me from, I think, Maple Valley, who does like custom decks. And he's like, yeah, whenever you're ready, let's let's uh, let's build you something at your house. So, you know, cool stuff like that is, has popped up as we as we go around this. And then when the mother-in-law comes or, or my mom, whatever, we can just throw them in the Airstream and then they have their own space. Then we don't have to worry about, you know, people being in our house. I can imagine that Marcus Hahnemann probably has some ideas for you too. Oh my God. Yeah. Marcus, Tommy Dutra too. Tommy's gotten your stream as well. So uh, it sounds like your intention is to end up in Seattle one way or another. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's, that's definitely fair. I think there's only, you know, a handful of, I mean, opportunities that could arise, but won't that would, you know, pull us away from Seattle, whether that's, you know, with, with the national team or something like that, that would force us to be somewhere else, but that's, you know, that's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, Seattle's, you know, a definite, uh, you know, a, a landing place for us where we still have so many awesome connections and, and the people were just so amazing while we were there, you know, either working or, um, you know, playing soccer. So it's, uh, to have that community is uh, something that's really important to us. And so have you, is it your intention to stay in soccer? Um, I mean, the more I'm removed from soccer, the more, the more I uh, miss it. Um, you know, I don't, I have to remind myself that like, I, I couldn't play anymore. Um, it would, it would be that, you know, Papa, you know, my nerve was just so jacked up and my back was jacked up that it just wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore. Like the daily maintenance but I do miss being around all the guys. And I think that, you know, depending on the coaching staff and how they operate, you can still have that while being a coach or, um, you know, being in and around the team, um, you know, finding young talent or, you know, building young talent has always been, um, you know, something that I've had in the back of my mind. Um, so if there's an opportunity there, yes. And, and if not, you know, you kind of look elsewhere. We've, we met so many great people in Seattle that, um, I still don't even know what I would do outside of soccer, but that's not to say that there isn't, um, you know, a possibility somewhere for me um, in the business world. Do you feel pretty good about how you left things with the Sounders? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what else I could have done. Um, you know, I've I've seen Adrian multiple times. It's always awesome. I've sat down with Henderson when I'm there. Um, you know, Saul Schmetz multiple times. Um, the only option I had that was a guaranteed thing was to, was to leave. And so as tough as that was, um, that was what I had to do. And I think that they totally understood that as well. Um, and that's kind of the position it was. And, um, what I'd like to finish out a career there, of course. Um, but you know, that's sports, that's kind of just how things go. You had, a, you had a chance to grab beers with Garth yet. I know that was really high on your list. <laughs> no, not with Garth. No. <laughs> Uh, no, no contact there, but, um, you know, it's when you're playing sports, things become, um, you know, more magnified and you take things, uh, definitely way more personal. 
Uh, and then when you're removed from it, you kind of ask yourself like, why sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, but I think I just had such an entrenched like love for the sounders that things changed and, uh, I didn't like the change. So, and that's not to say that it wasn't a good change. Obviously the team's done extremely well. So, um, just different. And then you take a step back and you're like, all right, who cares now? Um, if right. I was back with the Sounders, it'd be different. But now that I'm removed, it's kind of like, whatever, dude. Yeah. So you, you obviously you left the Sounders, you go to KC. Um, what did you think? Of, you know, we haven't really had a chance to talk to you since you went to KC. Yeah. Um, what was your time there like? I know, I know it probably didn't go exactly as you planned, but uh, all by all reports, it's a great organization to be involved in. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it's a, it's a like top class organization. Um, you know, when, when I leave teams, they tend to do crappy halfway through the year and then they end up doing amazing the second half. So they'll probably have a second half push just like the Sounders did last year. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but it honestly, it was from, from day one. So what happened was, you know, I was training with the Sounders. I did preseason, I did off season workouts kind of on my own cause I didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, my conversations with the Sounders were such that it was, uh, if you don't, if you're not 100% healthy, then we can't sign you. So I had no contract going into preseason. I was, you know, out of contract. I had nothing. Um, so I kind of was just cold calling teams myself, just saying, hey, is there an opportunity? Are you looking for this, that, and the other? What are you looking for? Um, and I had some good conversations. And then that whole process is, is a crazy one because that's, you know, around the time of the draft and, and teams are scouting elsewhere and they're getting their own team kind of set. So uh, obviously my agent was doing his due diligence, but I felt it appropriate. Just, you know, I had a relationship with Peter. So I called him and I was like, Hey, you know, what do you think? And this is probably two weeks um, from the start of Sounders camp. And uh, he was like, well, you know, how are you feeling? And I was like, you know, I feel good. I've been training, you know, on my own. And, uh, and he was like, okay, well, you know, it's something that we'll definitely think about. So nothing, I heard radio silence, nothing from text. They went through the draft. And then I got into uh, Sounders preseason and did these gnarly runs like the first or second day, which I should have pulled myself out of. And both of my calves just kind of like locked up. And uh, otherwise, I felt good, to be honest. And then uh, Sounders were flying to Southern California and Peter Vermees called me that day. It was like, hey, uh, you know, we're ready to have you in. Um, can we fly you in? And I was like, okay, well, I'm on my way to the airport. So they changed. They bought me a flight right then and there. So I actually got a ride to the airport from Chad, I think, or Gustav or something. And uh, we went our separate ways from there. So it was literally a last-minute thing. And uh, on my own for the whole preseason, he said, um, take your time. Like, we know your capabilities. We know what you can do. Like, we know what you bring to the table. Take as much time as you need. So that was kind of a huge relief uh, for me. And then three days later, he was like, look, we're just going to sign you. We'll back pay you from January 1st. Like, we, you know, we want you with the guys. We want you with the group and, and see how this goes. So it was a no-brainer for me. Um, you know, it's something I couldn't walk away from. And and very glad that I experienced that because from top to bottom, it was uh, nothing but class. Yeah, you know, from the outside, Peter Vermees has somewhat of a it's it's hard to get a read of him from someone who doesn't yeah. cover them every day and just sees him. But what's he what's he like in in person and when you're on the ground with him? So Peter and I go way back. We go to 2005 uh, under 20 World Cup, and he was the guy who basically told Zig like, "Hey, uh, I want this guy on the team," um, and that's kind of how my my 
national team c- career kind of started. And, uh, you know, I know that he had tried to get me from the Sounders on multiple occasions. Um, and uh, he's a really intense guy, but like cares, he cares so much. It's insane. It's like almost, it's, it's almost to a detriment that he cares so much because he kind of has his hands in multiple pots there. Um, and he, but now he's sort of winded down and kind of delegated those to different uh, people that he's brought in. And um, he, you know, I'm sure the fans think that he's intense. He's screaming on the sidelines. I mean, there were games where we'd be up, you know, four nil. And it's like, I'll be, I'll be watching from up in the stands on a couple of occasions. Like, Peter, just sit down. Like, What are you doing? It's four nil. It's the 82nd minute. Why are you screaming and hand gesturing? Just sit down and go have your assistant get you a coffee. Enjoy the last 10 minutes of this. Watch the crowd. But that's just not the person he is. If it's four nothing, it should be five. It should be six. It should be seven. And that's how like every single day is, dude. I remember he had a meniscus surgery also, and he was in at like 4:30 in the morning with the trainers. I've never seen somebody recover from a meniscus tear faster than this guy. And that's just like everyday life. It's, it's, it's crazy. First one in the office, last one out every single day. It's, it was insane. Yeah. That's especially when you're not like, what's he recovering for? So, so we can yeah yell Why? on the sideline. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so he can, <laughs> his theatrics, who knows, but <laughs> genuinely cares so much about all the guys and, uh, and that organization. It's, uh, it was really cool to be around. So a lot, uh, actually, no, that's, 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 that's awesome. Uh, so have you, I, I meant to ask you this earlier, have you learned anything about, you know, from that experience maybe, or from this experience, what have you, what do you think you've learned about yourself in the last year or so? Um, oh my gosh, what have I learned? Um, I've learned that there's more to life than soccer. Um, you know, I, I missed out on, um, I think throughout my career, I missed out on outside things that I could have been involved in maybe, and, you know, I tried my hardest to, you know, be involved in the community and do appearances and put on charity events. But, um, I think it's been, uh, more, um, which isn't, it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, looking back, um, uh, it could be more so, but connecting with young players and, and, and I don't think coaching staffs now understand how, how much they affect, uh, young players that are just trying to break through. Um, I'll give you an example. Like I've been texting with Eric Dick, a, a young goalkeeper from, from Kansas city, who is like the most freak athlete, but doesn't get enough from the coaching staff or he's too scared to, you know, kind of go to the coaching staff and just really zoom in on soccer. And so he actually just trying to FaceTime me right now. So I think connecting with the, with the young players is something that is kind of lacking. I think we're pushing too hard to get the young players to be these like amazing professionals and, they're missing out on kind of the journey and the ride. Um, and that's kind of been a little bit eye-opening for me. So um, that's been kind of cool, just reconnecting with young guys via text and, and FaceTime and just making sure that they're, you know, if they have any questions, concerns, just being like that kind of outlet, something, uh, you know, I had with a couple players, but not enough players have that. Um, yeah, I'm just making sure that, uh, just kind of letting things go, I guess. Um, understanding that once you get older it's more difficult to play uh knowing when your body's done and uh knowing when to take care of yourself so it's been an awesome journey but um learning that's for sure so we'll we'll close this out on a bit of on a celebratory note 
Uh, you were named to the Sounders best 11. You were on my personal best 11. I just wanted to share that. Uh, oh, thank you. And I, I it was, it's got to, that's got to be a pretty cool honor. Uh, how how yeah. did you find yeah. out about it? And, and what's that, that feel like to be, I mean, this is not, this is a pretty impressive group that you're, in, you're included in. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, as you, as you get older, you, I didn't even know what was happening to be honest until I did like a little podcast with Zach Awani. And he was like, oh, what do you think about the, who would be in your be- Sounders best 11? And I was like, um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. And it kind of came, <laughs> you know, I just didn't, I don't know. I kind of disconnected for a while. So, um, I mean, it's an, I think it's amazing. Number one, I think, um, you know, I got the call from Matt um, when I was in Aspen, I think, or something walking around and uh, he was like, Hey, just want to let you know that this is, you know, you've been named to the, to the best 11. I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. I definitely didn't expect it. thought there were, um, and that's never been the type of person I am. I always think that there's uh, players that should be, you know, in front of me that can take the accolades. Um, and there have been a number of players that could be interchangeable in that lineup. Um, but obviously extremely honored. Um, it's uh, it's an amazing group of players and, and something that will stick out in, in Sounders history. And I think it's just really cool. Um, just really, really cool. And I wish that that, and I'm, I'm very lucky actually that I got to play with all those guys at some point or another, which I think is kind of cool too. Um, yeah, that's, that's really an interesting, too. you and Alonzo, I guess would be the, yeah. well, I guess a few of you may have played with, did Fry play with Yedlin? I yeah, think so. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. A few, I guess a few of you guys would have played with everyone yeah. on here, but that's, that is a cool, that is pretty, I mean, that's pretty cool that you can put together a best 11 like this that's this good and have that much continuity in there also yeah yeah i mean that's a testament to what the sounders were doing from day one was to keep that you know you look at the spine of that group and it was there for everyone kind of overlapped with each other and okay in 10 years that's going to happen but the the spine of that group how how long they were there together uh is a testament to the uh, and they're all winners they're all winners that's a testament to the club and and the to the scouting group and, and the way that they're able to keep that team together. All right. So the team is Clint Dempsey, Obafemi Martins, Freddie Montero, you, Ozzy Alonzo, Christian Roldan, Nico Ladero, Zach Scott, Chad Marshall, DeAndre Yedlin, Stefan Fry. Who for you is the biggest snub from that? Like who's the one person you were maybe surprised by or that if you were going to insert, if you were going to have the uh, commissioner's pick, who would you be putting in there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Mauro was uh, was massive for the club. Rosales was, I think, in a time uh, we we played different with Rosales there. You know, we became a real aerial threat team, and uh, that's something that hasn't been with the Sounders since. And that was like a special time. Um, you know, his service, uh, his dead ball capabilities, and he was a captain for for quite a while too. And that was, uh, and he loved the club. Um, you know, and that was that was really special. Some massive wins with him. Um, you know, Papa was a was a crazy special player to probably the most technically gifted player um, it, when he wanted to be. And that was always the question with him was when he was there, he was unbelievable. But when he was checked out, you know, he was he was kind of checked out. Um, and then obviously Zakawani, um, you know, probably the most polarizing figure of that whole group. Um, <laughs> he. It was insane. I mean, I, I think I've told this story before, but there was a remember Evan Brown when he was on the team. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was, and he was always on the second team. So he had to, you know, play against Zach Wani every single day, every Thursday when we did, you know, 11 v 11. 
he was halfway through the season and Zakawani just torched him, torched him. There was no way Evan was keeping up. And he was like, he was a, he was a national champion with, with Wake Forest a year before. So it wasn't like he was incapable. He just had to play against Zakawani every day. That's why his career ended so short. And Zakawani smoked him. And Schmetz was like, you got to make a play there, something like that. And Evan just spouted off like, you fucking try and mark him, something like that. It was like, <laughs> so amazing. And that was the demise of Evan Brown right there. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, Lamar, Lamar Nagel oh, tells yeah. similar stories about having to match up with him in 2009 as a... Yes. You know, basically a a, a undrafted free agent uh, at a UNLV, and yeah. had never played right back before. And here he is trying to yep. trying to contain Steve Zakwani. Um, there was there was just no way. It was crazy. So I noticed you don't put Eric Freeberg or Mike Facito on this team. That they're going to probably take a personal affront to that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, for those two guys, they were, uh, you know, I hate them both. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Very fair. Well, Brad, um, it sounds like you are having an amazing journey. Uh, I really am glad that we got to connect with you. Glad we haven't, you know, uh, have have always you're always been one of my favorite interviews. So thanks for doing this, and uh, hopefully we see you when you're back up in Seattle. Yeah, I got nothing but free time. We can talk about analyzing the current team, whatever you want. I got it. There all we go. Next, product. the next time, that's what we're gonna do for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, thanks a lot. And you're listening to the Sandra Heart Podcast.